today's message is entitled Staying Consistent. Okay? Staying Consistent. Is anybody really good at being consistent in life? Maybe you're better than others. Maybe sometimes things are going well. But that's one of the challenges that we have of being consistent. So I want to share this just little introduction story. Several years ago, Nancy and I and three of our friends from our last church went on a bike trip, on a mountain biking trip. Now it makes me want to change the story to embarrass her. <laughs> Anyways, we went on this trip, um, Rifle River Recreation Area, and we went mountain biking on hills, and it was, some of it was pretty treacherous uh, terrain. We went down narrow cliffs on steep embankments and around sharp turns and over rough hills and tracks, and and you can't do it slowly because you've got to build up enough momentum to get over hills and stuff. And so you're going pretty fast and, and you're following each other down these trails. It's a lot harder than just following a straight line. You go around bends and turns and, and you know, wear helmets and all that. And it's, uh, we had a few wipeouts, but it's, 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 it's challenging. And so as you ride, you want to make sure that you're still staying behind the person ahead of you. Because if not, and someone falls behind you, it's not like you're looking in the back, you know, behind you to see what happens. And so we had to come up with a way to make sure that none of us got too far off. And so periodically we'd have the person in the front. We would use the first five books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And periodically, as we're driving along, the first person would yell out, Matthew! And he'd listen. And then hopefully, because you can't see anybody around turns, hopefully you'd hear Mark. Then you'd hear Luke. And then John. And then Acts. And so it was up to each person to listen to one in front of them and also listen, you know, call out and listen to that person behind them. And if you didn't hear that person in a pretty quick time, you have to say stop and they go up, up, back, up the line, stop. When everyone stopped, would go back and help the person behind us. That was, relied a lot on communication to make sure that we were following along, not getting too far apart. And that's what it really is. It's a model of the body of Christ, that we need to be communicating with God and staying close to His Word, but also communicating with one another and be looking out for one another. Because if we're not doing that too often enough, then someone could have been dropped back a while ago and we didn't communicate. We just assumed that they were following us because we're focusing forward. And so Jesus talks about how we are to follow Him. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. I know this is going to seem redundant to you, but if we are really followers of Jesus, then we need to follow Him. What I mean more specifically is that we need to make sure that we stay right close to Him, not let there be space in between where we can get off track or just assume that we're close enough. We need to follow Him. We need to know His voice. We need to be in His Word and listen to His Word so that we can stay on that right path because we go through some pretty, pretty treacherous uh, terrain as Christians in this world. Jesus came to us to make us 
not believers, but followers. It's not about me saying I believe in Jesus, so I'm a Christian. It's I'm going to live my life to follow Jesus and do what He's commanded to be so that you can look at my life and know I'm a Christian, not just by what I say I believe. He called us all to be followers, but this requires a completely different effort than many people are, frankly, prepared to do. You cannot be a follower of Jesus if you're not spending time in His Word. That means that's kind of like you get too far away from the person ahead of you and you can't hear the directions. Because another thing that we'd call up and say is they'd say, cliff ahead. Tree in the middle of the trail. Well, if you didn't hear that, you're in trouble. Because you come around those things so quick. And, and, and so if we're not in God's Word, then we can't, we're not alerted to what's coming down the, our path. Then we get surprised. Gosh, I had no, I had no idea, God, that this trial was in my life. How come I didn't get some warning? Well, maybe you would have if we were spending time in His Word and discerning His voice. We need to choose to follow Jesus. So we have to be spending time in His Word. We have to be communicating with God, two-way communication, on a daily basis. That means not just us asking for things, but us taking time and letting God speak to us through the reading of the Bible. That's how He speaks to us, is through His Word. And also spending time quietly in His presence so we can hear His voice. We also need to keep our life in check by submitting to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. It has to be a daily choice that each of us makes to deny ourselves and to take up our cross. That's what Jesus said. If we truly want to follow Jesus. However, when we allow the cares of this world, the allure of sin, or the offenses that cause distance between us and Jesus, when we allow that to happen, we risk falling out of earshot of the only one who can lead us back to safety. One of the greatest challenges that we face in our Christian walks is to keep our focus and to stay focused on Jesus. Unless we make a deliberate effort to stay focused and refuse to wander, we will be pulled off track. And our walk will look more like a zigzag than a straight line to Christ. The more we come to accept this compromise pattern in life, the more weight that we give to our own strength and our own logic and our own will to keep us on the right path. When this happens... We are quick to see wrong in society. We are quick to see wrong in others. But we fail to hold our own lives in check. Which means we're not leading with grace for others and leading with truth. We're leading with criticism because we're trying to keep our life by our own efforts. We spend more time and effort trying to look good and trying to keep up a facade than we do to actually become disciplined and make the necessary change changes at each level in our life. A Christian is one that continues to grow. There's no off-season. There's that we continue to grow and we grow through trials, we grow through when, when we fail. I make mistakes all the time. And, I, and, and my prayer is that I continue to grow through my mistakes. And, and so as we continue to grow and submit ourselves to God and to the Holy Spirit through conviction, then we continue to grow and we stay close to Jesus. If we, however, let this slow, methodical process continue, where we're not open to conviction, where we're too far from His words and His voice, then 
it, it takes it takes over our, our will. We stop responding to a conviction, and we our lives become deteriorated. But what we need to do is to follow God, to know His voice, and to be close to Him. You see, the the thing I'm talking about is 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 one of the things that drew the most anger from Jesus. Was Jesus ever angry? Yeah, he was. He certainly was angry at sin. But when, when he called out people who seemed to be religious, um, he was very angry, very angry because of something that he called hypocrisy. The word hypocrite is rooted in a Greek word, which means a stage actor or a pretender. I know you've heard this before. A hypocrite is a person who pretends to be a certain way but really acts the total opposite. Hypocrites usually talk a big game, but then they fail to follow their own rules, like an outspoken vegetarian who secretly eats bacon. You know there's people out there like that. Come on. However, hypocrisy is more than the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde description, where one is a completely different person in two different environments. It's easy to say, no, I'm not a hypocrite. I'm, I'm not like that. Hypocrisy begins when we fail to be consistent in staying close to Jesus and responding to conviction. The true danger in hypocrisy in our walks is that we too often fail to see the tendencies beginning to make inroads into our thoughts as we grow in our lives. How does this happen? It happens by us saying, I'm not too bad. We we're not too bad. We think no one else can see the wrong motivations at our heart because our actions are still good. You know, there might be some offense or some wrong motivation at our hearts or an inconsistency in our actions or a judgment in our thoughts. That's hypocrisy starting to leap in if we don't acknowledge it and repent of it. We think hypocrisy means and describes something else much worse. But if we're not willing to daily submit ourselves to Christ to obtain our necessary course corrections, we risk our spirit being compromised. Even as we study this topic today, I can almost guarantee you that many of it, it, your flesh is trying to tell you right now, this message is for someone else. I'm not a hypocrite. I don't have hypocritical tendencies. But boy, I sure wish so-and-so was here. They need to hear this message. That couldn't possibly be me. You think you're safe. That's what happens when you come in front of God is that God reveals things in us so that He can take it away. But if we don't acknowledge it, then it stays with us. And so the whole goal is not to say that we're perfect or even that we're content in, in our walk with God. The whole goal is to say, God, when I come to church, I want You to reveal to me what I'm doing that's keeping me off the track. That's keep me leading a, a better, narrow walk to you. God, I know I'm not perfect and I know I have things maybe that I don't even see, so help me to acknowledge the things that you reveal so I don't hold on to it out of shame, but I release it to you so you can forgive me and cause me to follow you. You see, if you're feeling any of these thoughts that it couldn't be you and this is for someone else, then all the more I encourage you to press in to consider in what ways that you have been infected in the past, or maybe it's trying to creep in right now. Instead of only judging others under this light, we must be willing to look at our own lives first. That's what Jesus asked all of us to do. 
Matthew chapter 7. Familiar verse, Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye, and look, there's a plank in your own eye? Hypocrite, verse 5. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What it's saying is you see something, you think it's wrong, and you want to criticize someone because you don't have it in your life in an obvious place because it's all hidden. Even though you may have a, a wrong motivation, we think I could see it in someone else's li- lives. And so Jesus says when we do that, when we're not honest and open to conviction, then we are hypocrites. Now listen, it doesn't make us bad people. It makes us humans. It's part of human nature to not want to admit wrong when you're at fault. You don't believe me? You remember when sin entered the world? Do you remember how Adam and Eve responded in the garden? When confronted individually by God about their choice to sin, the man blamed the woman. The woman blamed the serpent. It's in our human nature to blame and not take responsibility for our actions. Therefore, we must first ask the Holy Spirit to help us die to our flesh so we can objectively look at our own lives to see where hypocrisy is aggressively trying to enter in or has already become entrenched and we're just denying it. We begin with Jesus' strong rebuke to the scribes and the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, and that the outside may be clean also. See, we put too much work into cleaning the outside so we look good to others instead of taking the hard time with God and working on the inside. Jesus goes on, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, the way to spread the Christian faith is not to act like or to put off this thought that things are going great in your life and you're not in any trouble and and you're you're top-notch. If you are, praise God. But I'll tell you what makes us more thirsty to the world is when they see that we're real. When they see that we mess up. That we don't always react in the right way. That we fall and sometimes say the wrong thing or sometimes do the wrong thing. And then we acknowledge it and say, you know what, I'm sorry. My fault. I apologize. I was wrong. That is is attractive to the world. Because it takes a lot of weight and energy to hold up this facade. If we can just be real and understand that we have a sinful nature and we're going to fall, but we have to acknowledge it, then we become salt and light to the world. Jesus implores us to consider our inward purity as our greatest concern, that our hearts would be purified by faith and sprinkled from an evil conscience by the blood of Christ. And that grace and holiness are formed inside of us by the Spirit of God. 
only with internal grace and a continual pursuit of holiness can we expect an external or outward change in our lives and in our conversations so that they can be reformed and influenced by the Spirit of God. One of the problems that that happens in society right now is that we're too focused on external grace rather than internal grace. Let me explain this. It's in John 1.17. The Bible tells us the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, grace is not something that merely covers all of our sinful actions and gives us immunity from condemnation or judgment. Grace does not come upon a believer. It comes through a believer. Remember, grace came through Jesus Christ. If you come to Jesus Christ and repent and you commit your life to Him, then Jesus lives on the inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus works through you from the inside out. Ephesians 1, verse 7. says, In Him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. We are redeemed because of His grace. It's nothing that we have done. And if we understand that, then we let that grace flow through us to others where it's not our efforts trying to fix things or hold things back. We don't have redemption just because we say we're Christians or just because we go to church or just because we talk about God. We must be in Jesus to be redeemed and be forgiven. That's how grace works and how it flows. Grace emanates from the heart and soul that is inextricably linked to Christ with a will that is unashamedly submitted to God. So how do we know if our will is in submission to God? How do you check that? Well, we check the receipt. Have you ever gone to a grocery store and you go on checkout and you look at the receipt and you believe you've been overcharged for something that you didn't want or that you didn't pick? What do you do? You go back line item by line item and you look at the receipt. And then you remove the unwanted item. So how do we check our receipt to evaluate our submission to God? I'll tell you. We look at the payoff to our own will or the payoff that we're receiving to our own flesh when we serve, when we give to others. Our flesh is always looking for a payoff if our submission is off. A will that is not in submission to God is receiving some sort of external payoff like thanks from others or appreciation or recognition. When our will is not submitted, we don't just receive compliments and accolades. We savor them. We think about it in our heads that was so nice that someone said they liked me or that they appreciated me. And we replay those tapes over and over in our head. And it's feeding. Now, though it's great to receive thanks and appreciate it, but when we savor them, we realize that maybe our submission to Christ is off because now I'm seeking that instead of seeking to serve Christ. The problem is that we become more motivated by the positive attention rather than by the opportunity to serve God and His kingdom. Now, few people will admit this. They'll say, no, no, you're, you're, you're taking it too far, Pastor. You're saying we shouldn't have be thanked? Well, of course we should be thanked. 
But you know in your heart when it crosses into the line of savoring it versus just receiving it. So few people will admit this skewed priority. But if we are honest, we've all been there, or at least tempted to be there at times in our past. Also, when we're not in submission, we're more apt to be wounded by others. Since we can't control someone else's appreciation, I can't control when someone else thanks me, I can't control when someone else recognizes me, we're tempted to feel gypped or at a loss when we're not thanked or when we're not appreciated for a job well done. At this point, we may either pout on the inside or we might even take it one step further and let others know what we have did so that we can kind of manipulate their thanks or appreciation. That's what we do, right? Okay, maybe just me. But what I'm saying is we have the sinful nature in us. Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, he said this. He said, the things I know I should do, I don't do. And the things I know I shouldn't do, I do. He said, this wretched thing inside of me, the sinful flesh is doing it. But praise the God that I am, I am, I am delivered by Jesus Christ. So yes, you're going to have good days where your motivations are pure and, and great. And you're going to have other days when you're tired or for whatever reason your motivations are not. And the best thing we can do is just to admit it. Not act like, oh, we're fine. I don't know why that pastor keeps telling about all his problems. I think the more honest we can be with God, the closer we can become to God. That's what I think. When we're not in submission, we're wounded by others. If we're not receiving the thanks or appreciation that we think that our, our flesh thinks it, it deserves. Throughout the Bible, we are warned against this behavior. Matthew 6, verse 1. Jesus says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 2, he says, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet. Dun, da, 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 look what I did. Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have the reward. Now, whether you do it or not, I can guarantee you that that temptation is there for you. It's not that the Pharisees were horrible people. It's just that they succumbed more to their flesh than their spirit. We, there's a temptation for our spirits to go into that pharisaical direction, to seek the praises of men. I'm not saying we all go there. But there's a temptation inside of us. And so if we're aware of that and, and we, these things start to hit a little bit, God, I didn't realize that was even there in me. Forgive me, God. I Take it away from me, God. Teach me to follow you. In the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus goes on to warn about hypocrisy while praying out loud, while fasting in front of others. These are all godly disciplines, disciplines to serve and to fast and to pray. But they can all be done with wrong motivations if we're not daily denying ourselves and staying close to Jesus in His Word. The greatest way that we can tell if our will in submission is off is by examining our target to whom we are looking to receive a payoff. When we give, are we looking for someone else to congratulate us or notice us or thank us? Or are we just doing it to God? 
Because that's what his word commands. Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. You see what's happening here is Jesus is speaking directly to our spirit. Because he knows the flesh is always trying to rise up, but if we feed the spirit more than the flesh, then the spirit speaks louder than the flesh. So all we got to do is acknowledge, yep, I've been tempted, yep, I've given in, yep, I've craved that, God forgive me, and then the spirit is fed over the flesh. Now I know that all of us would like to say, of course, that's our desire. But honestly, are we there consistently? Or do we go back and forth in our skewed motivations and think we're going to be undetected by others and even by God? Now understand that no one has a perfect track record. But even when we fail, a submitted will is quick to respond to conviction and change its course immediately, throwing off the positive attention and giving thanks and praise to God. God is the one who fills us when we're submitted to Him and keep constant communion with Him. Communion is not about just going through the motions of taking the bread and the juice. Communion, if you take that word apart, it means communion, coming into a union. Coming into a union with Christ. The only way that we could come into that union is if we are completely honest, and not only honest, but actually say to God, God, show me where I'm off. I don't want to just wait until I get convicted, but show me things that I don't see right now where I am off. When we do that, then we come into submission with Him. Therefore, a submitted will is paid internally by God rather than externally by others. A submitted soul does not need praises or attention or thanks from others. It is not moved by that because it receives grace through Jesus internally. Also, a submitted soul does not get as wounded by external attacks because of its internal armor. Rejection becomes just another flaming arrow that is extinguished by our shield of faith. It may hit the exterior. It may cause you to react momentarily, but it cannot wound your spirit because it's going after your flesh. If you deny yourself, you allow the flesh to die so your spirit can rise up and lead you to Christ. In fact, a life and will that is submitted to God actually flourishes under rejection. It flourishes under trials. It flourishes under unfair circumstances because where there is an attack by an external enemy, internal grace increases. How can that happen? Let me bring you to this truth in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 19. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, like he attacks you and attempts you and tries to tell you that you're rejected or oppressed, when he comes in like a flood the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against Him. See, when the enemy comes in, the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard by raising the level of grace inside of us to protect our hearts and to protect our souls. So we might not like it, we may be uncomfortable, but it doesn't cause a mortal wound to our soul. When we feel, when we fully receive this revelation of the internal grace that God is lifting up a standard inside of us, 
And when we embrace this truth, we will no longer draw back and be paralyzed in fear of the enemy's attacks. We will actually run into battle by God's perfect grace. Do you understand that victory is ours because the battle belongs to the Lord? Right? That's what grace is. God, I know I'm not perfect, but I know that you fight on my behalf, and so I'm going to stand in that victory that you've secured for me, and I'm going to give you the battle. Above all, we must seek to be consistent in our pursuit of God and in His holiness. We must not for one moment take advantage of the grace given by God, assuming that we can do no harm because of it. On the contrary, we must continue to engage in spiritual warfare with the weapons that God has given us. Well, what has God given us for spiritual warfare? 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5 says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, which means they're not man-made, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, for casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's a full-time job. To take every thought that comes in here and i got to take it into captivity and see if it lines up with the Word of God. And if it doesn't, I need to cast it out. Because too often the world tells you that you're rejected. Or the world tells you you're no good. Or the world tells you that there is no hope. All of these things come in and they kind of creep in. And if we don't take it captive and see if it lines up with the Word of God, then it slowly works its way into our craw, and it begins to do damage from the inside out. But if we stay close to Jesus, just like that, that following that bike along, and communicate back and forth, and look for others to back and forth to hold one another accountable, then we, we have access to the grace of God internally. Where the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against whatever attack the enemy puts upon us. I think as we spend time in God, it's important to be honest with Him. It's important to say, God, I want all of you. And the only way that can happen is if you take all of, all of me. That we give God our minds and we give God our hearts and we give God our wrong motivations. And frankly, there's times in our lives because we are raised a certain way, there's wounds that we've carried from childhood. And it still affects how we react. And so if we're honest with God, we say, God, do a work in me. Do a work in us. It doesn't mean we're bad. It just means we're honest. And God, the greatest gift you can give God is your honesty. It is. In fact, there's a scripture verse. I'm kind of going off the notes here. But there's a scripture, I think it's in Psalm 126, that says that those who sow in tears will reap a bountiful harvest. I was meeting with a young man this week. And he was broken. And he just broke into tears. And he started to apologize and felt ashamed. I said, I said, stop. I said, right now, your body wants to be honest, even though you're trying to hold it back. Your body is saying, I'm hurting right now. And the Word of God says that if you sow tears and you're not afraid or ashamed to share your tears, to share that you need help, then you reap a blessing back. Too often we don't acknowledge what we need in life. So right now, I'm going to take some time as we reflect on what we need in life as we acknowledge before God. I want us to understand as we do that, 
we can stand in the victory, no matter what trial we go through, because the victory is ours, because the battle is His. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would give us courage to come to You, courage to be honest with You, to do the hard work in our lives. We pray, God, that we can be an open book to You, that You would look upon us and to see the places that have gotten us off track and help us to freely give them to You. And in exchange, we receive Your grace that forgives us, that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, that puts us back on the right path where we are staying close to You and know Your voice. God, right now I come against condemnation that people may be feeling where they've missed it. We thank You that grace is stronger. We come against fear. I come against doubt. I come against division. And we thank You that Your grace is stronger. We know, Lord God, that truth and grace came through Jesus Christ. So as we yield ourselves to You, we pray, God, that truth would emanate from us to offer forgiveness to others. And for those of us who really need it, Lord God, help us to forgive ourselves. Help us to know it's not by our efforts, but by Yours that we receive forgiveness and extend forgiveness to others. God, in doing so, we seek to become one as a body. It's not something that we can do in our own efforts, but if we each all yield to You, we become one. In fact, Jesus, when You were in the Garden of Gethsemane, You said to Father, I pray that they all would be one, that the world may know that You sent Me. See, church, as we come together and we're honest and open and let God remove the gunk in our lives, we become one. And we answer the prayer of Jesus. And then the world knows that Jesus is alive. Lord God, let us live authentic lives, seeking to be consistent and always staying close to You. Bless our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.